Language and Power podcast, episode six. In this podcast series, we look closely at the language being used in and around COP26. According to the official website, the COP26 summit will bring parties together to accelerate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Language is crucial to understanding the climate crisis, to formulating solutions and negotiating political and economic pitfalls. It's crucial to communicating science findings and recognizing the social, political and economic conditions which have brought us to crisis point. Language is interaction that can accelerate action. But language is also performance and performances can be used to distract from inaction, to avoid action or postpone it. And language is what we focus on in this podcast series. Hello, I am Michael Farrelly. I teach English language at the University of Hull and I research and write on issues of discourse, politics, policy and sustainability. And I'm joined as always by Tom Bartlett. Hi, Tom. Hi, Michael. Nice to be here again. And I teach applied linguistics at the University of Glasgow and uh, particularly just like yourself in critical discourse analysis and language around sustainability. Um, we're recording today on the 9th of November, which on the official program of the COP26 agenda is Gender and Science and Innovation Day. So two separate items on that. Uh, gender is progressing gender equality and the full and meaningful participation of women and girls in climate action, according to the program. And Science Innovation is demonstrating that science and innovation can deliver climate solutions to meet and accelerate increased ambition. So interesting that they've got but those two on the same day rather than on separate days. Uh, today is also uh, sees the, the, the release of the first draft of the COP uh, Glasgow text. And Greenpeace have already commented that they see it as being an exceptionally weak document with, and quote, no mention of fossil fuel phase out. So I think we'll look at those documents, the, the text of that and the, and, and the Greenpeace response perhaps later in the week, Tom. That would be a really nice change of shift towards the official documents, which we haven't yeah. had much chance to look at yet. They've been no, behind exactly. closed doors of all this stuff. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So it should be interesting. So look out for that later in the week. Uh, today's topic, we're going to be looking at the reporting of COP demonstrations. Um, so there were a lot of de demonstrations over the weekend, as we spoke about yesterday in yesterday's podcast. Um, we're going to look at news reports from uh, an American um, online uh, web service Democracy Now! and a, another report from the UK's uh, Daily, Daily Mail newspaper. So let's start with the Democracy Now! report. The title is, We Are Not Responsible, quote, Youth Climate Activists Rally in Glasgow to Demand World Leaders Act Now, published on the 8th of November. And the thing about this is that it's a, a, a video and what we've got, we've also got the transcript. So we'll put the link to the video in the uh, show description. So the transcript starts with the presenter, Amy Goodman. The United Nations Climate Summit has entered its second week. On Friday and Saturday, over 100,000 demonstrators took part in a pair of major climate rallies in the streets of Glasgow, Scotland. The first protest was organized by Fridays for Future, an international movement of students which grew out of Greta Thunberg's climate strike outside the Swedish parliament in 2018. We begin today's show with some highlights from Friday's rally. Uh, this is Ugandan climate justice activist, Evelyn Hatcham. And Evelyn Hatcham 
is then shown to say, we emit very little CO2, very little CO2 emission. We are suffering from some of the worst impacts. People are dying from floods, disasters like droughts are drying up people's crops, people's food. Uganda is heavily, Uganda heavily depends on agriculture for food and water. But again, agriculture depends on the natural systems. That means people are left hungry without nothing to eat or drink. And then there are several speakers shown on this um, video. I'm going to skip forward and read a little bit from uh, a speaker called Michaela Loach, who is from the UK. And I want to read this because we're going to mention some of the, to what she speaks of in, in our, in our analysis. She says, my heart was broken by the people inside that cop building, by the world leaders who steal our sacred words and use them to defend and uphold the oppressive systems of capitalism and white supremacy, who tell us that action needed to prevent sea level rise engulfing my ancestral home in Jamaica is impossible or not practical. In this heartbreak, fear and despair, I felt weak, but I will allow myself the space for my heart to break so that the gold of community can be poured into those cracks and make it stronger, make it bigger, because every time my heart breaks, it is made stronger. She goes on, and I'll just read the second part. The antidote to despair is not to turn and run away or ignore the realities of the societal violence around us. It is not to ignore the violence of our siblings on the front lines who experienced at the hands of the neo-colonial fossil fuel companies. It is not to ignore the hypocrisy of the UK government, the host of this conference, who prop up these violent fossil fuel companies with four billion pounds of our public money in subsidies. This same government who are trying to approve the Cambo oil field and 39 other oil and gas projects at a time when the IEA and the IPCC have said that we can have no new investment in oil and gas if we want a livable future. This is worse than hypocrisy, she says. It is violence. In the face of this violence and despair, we cannot give up, cannot be overwhelmed. We must act. These are last resort times. So do whatever you can and be audacious about how incredible the future we can create can be. We have to believe that we can achieve it. So Tom, uh, first thoughts on, on that text. Okay, I mean, yeah, very interesting stuff. And I think it's worth saying a bit about democracy now, which is uh, a very left-wing broadcast corporation, I think. I first became aware of them when I, when I worked in the States and was driving through Virginia. Uh, and the, the, the hour-long program used to come on in the morning. It was very, very interesting, first of all, because it was such a, a different viewpoint from mainstream U.S. press. It's a subscription-funded service. Uh, very radical, probably probably Marxist in orientation, fair to say. And I was, as I was driving, I went to a capacity, the, the National Rifle Association, quite ironically, uh, the, the absolute epitome of the opposite side of the states listening to this. But it's also a station that takes its time. And I think we've seen some evidence of that. They can have 15 minute interviews on there, on the news programs. It's not a sound bites program. It is a program that likes to dig into things and see alternative sides. But my first thoughts on that, Michael, on reading this, uh, was, first of all, it focuses a lot more on the immediate suffering of people at the moment. Well, we've seen a bit of that, particularly with Chinese and that, a lot of stuff we've looked at is focused on environmental degradation at the moment. Hasn't necessarily focused actually on the physical suffering of the humans behind that who are carrying out day-to-day -day jobs and, and starving and the like. But that's sort of 
been erased a little bit. We've been focusing on pollution. In a way, the main emphasis I get the thing, the main emphasis has been on the the future and to avoid really bad pollution and environmental degradation in the future. And we're sort of ignoring those places where this is actually the present reality. So it's come from very much even Greta Thunberg, which talks talks about you've stolen my future. Mm. But we're actually hearing people whose present has been stolen here, which is which is quite different. So it's also um and got those different voices, but also throughout the article, it's actually, I think, as we talked about earlier, it's, it's actually talking about global capitalism as, as mm. being caused, which is not at all unexpected from this out. But it's something that, again, is hinted at in other outlets. So you talked earlier on about Boris Johnson with this half time and five one metaphor, having a climate disaster as some defined as if it was separate uh, humanity fighting against it, which is one form of erasure or moving out human responsibility for climate crisis. But there's mm. another level we're saying here is, well, what's behind the human effort, the human activity that creates climate crisis? And it's not just we are pumping too much pollution into the atmosphere and we're sort of ignoring that, but we're actually ignoring that the main cause of that is production, the capitalist system, or according to democracy now, we have to look even deeper and say, you can't just, it's the forces of global capitalism that are making people uh, degrade the environment. So quite mm. a, a much more mm. radical message than we've heard anywhere else. There. That's really interesting. Indeed, what we haven't really heard from it or looked or seen in, in the text that we've looked at, at least in this series, is that context for the physical um, burning, the physical chemical reactions that, that cause you know, directly cause the emission, uh, emission of greenhouse gases. We haven't talked about the, this, the social context that enables that to happen. Um, and so here we've got it front and center in these, in the, in the quotes from speakers in this article. And well, it's a video, it's a video, isn't it? So it's a 15 minute video, as you say, a long form and a lot of space given to the speakers at that Glasgow, uh, rally, which is something that you don't see in mainstream TV news. Um. And so it's an interesting departure, um, and it, it departs in a, in a number of ways. The, the people who are protesters are named, and again, in TV news, you'd often see that you know protesters are there. And, and if there's a famous protester, such as Greta Thunberg, such, such as a, a celebrity, they would be named. But these are people who are not celebrities as celebrities, but they do give them their name. The announcer names them. We've got this extended quotation. So uh, this long, long quotation, so you said, uh, showing the people on the stage speaking to the rally. And again, in main t mainstream TV news, that's not something you might get a sound bite, um, but not this, uh, these long sections of speech, especially for people who are not in themselves to the audience. Um, and then because you have this long quotation, this long giving of voice to the people who are speaking at the stage, we don't have the reporter inserting themselves and commenting and framing the, the, how we're supposed to understand and interpret what the people are saying on stage, which is, again, is something quite different from a, a mainstream TV news. It might give you a little soundbite, might give you a, a bit of a clip of somebody speaking, but they would tell you something about it, tell you something about the people, tell you something about what it means um, in the context and, and give you a kind of steer on how, how you should understand it. So really, really quite different.
So I, I wanted to talk about some of the metaphor that we see, uh, particularly in that section from Michaela Loach. I think really, really fascinating um, metaphors there. So the first one, my heart was broken by the people inside that cop building, by the world leaders who steal our sacred words and use them to defend and uphold the oppressive system of capitalism and white supremacy. So what we've got here are, uh, is a metaphor of words as objects. Um, not only are they objects, but they, they are precious. They are valuable, uh, when they are, you know, they're sacred, uh, they, they can, they're the kind of things that can be stolen. But on top of that, and this is really interesting is that the, the metaphor also sees them as having a kind of conflict capability in the, in the form of shields. They can be used to defend the, the current system and used against the people who, um, who uttered them in the first place. So that's a, a really interesting way of thinking about it and thinking about what language is doing. I think what we've got here, the metaphor does have this conflict. There are people on two sides of the conflict, the attackers, the, the, um, the, the in, in this metaphor, the people who are protesting and, and who are climate activists and the defenders in this case, uh, are the capitalists and the white supremacists, which is a, a really interesting inversion of how we often think about those two sets of people. But what we have here, even similar to metaphors we've seen earlier in this series, we have this conflict between separation of, of, of people with a conflict, a fight. But what's happening in this case is, it, is it's describing the relationship between sets of people. As in previous metaphors, the football metaphor we saw mm. from Johnson in the first episode, that was a metaphor which showed a separation between people and climate change. Here we've got mm -hmm. a separation between people and people, different groups of people with um, different interests when it comes to climate change. So I think that's really, really interesting too. Yeah, Dan, it's interesting, isn't it, that again, we find so much of the language of COP, people have been talking about language itself and the role yeah. of language. I mean, I probably the sound bite of the whole COP will be blah, blah, blah. And mm. that will be, I mean, that, you know, word of the year in the dictionary thinking canvas word that here again, as you, as you pointed out, we've got Amman Kyla talking about language as being sacred. And it, of course, the opposite of that was when we saw Chesri saying that the language of the leaders was the pollution. Mm. That there's this fake promise there's a language that lang language can be pollution, yeah. language can be golden, language can solve. So, so much reflection on the power of language during the COP process, which of course is perfect for us. Mm. <laughs> people are aware of how, how important language is. Yeah. To, to hide or to move things forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to pick out one more metaphor because I thought this was, this was lovely. Same speaker, uh, Michaela Loach says, but I will allow myself the space for my heart to break so that yes. the gold of community can be poured into those cracks and make it stronger, make it bigger. Because every time my heart breaks, it is made stronger. And I think that's lovely. About, it is about people again. It is about relationships, but in this case, it's about, you know, that wider sense of community and solidarity that you, that, that she's uh, trying to tap into. Yeah. But by becoming broken and open, things can, mm. can, can renew in, in a wider, broad way. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the, the cracks where the light gets in. We, we expand by, by finding problems, getting past them. So there's this past experience used, you know, to, mm. to in a, in a negative experience can be used in a positive way. It's, it's a great metaphor, isn't it? Mm, mm. And in this, and what we'll see, I mean, just, just as a, to, to look forward to future episodes, we will be thinking about how people are, um, 
you know, how, how people deal with a kind of sense of, of fear, frustration, anxiety as well. And this is a, a, a yeah. really interesting way of looking at it. Let's have a look at the second text for today, the Daily Mail article. Yeah, um, I was just saying, well, really interesting because when we were choosing uh, articles to look at today, we said, well, let's find coverage from two very different ideologically positioned sources to see how they cover the, the march. And Democracy Now! has covered it in very much the way we expected it to, but very different from other stuff we've seen so far, but it was not a surprise at all. Whereas actually the Daily Mail surprised both Michael and myself mm. when looking at the coverage there. Uh, well, again, we'll put up the, the uh, URL so that you can follow the coverage. But what Merkel and I both thought was how ambivalent it is. It is. It's not really negative in the way we expected the representations to be, both in terms of the, the protesters and Credit of Dunberg in particular. So it starts off more than 50,000 eco-warriors are demonstrated in cities. Eco-warriors probably carries what we'd call a negative prosody in terms of, it's not negative in itself, but if you look up all the times that's been used in the past, you probably, it carries negative associations with it. Mm. So that's Especially, especially like that. in publications like the Daily Mail. Yes, exactly. You've got yeah. to look and see mm. where it's been used mm. in the mm. past, not just the general. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and then it comes on thousands of people, including students and left-wing activists. Now, again, students should be a neutral categorization, but students and left-wing activists to, to People who look at, read, search the Daily Mail and read the Daily Mail, we know those are, those are scare, scare phrases. But however, it, it really carries on. Uh, yes, so they're, they're reading capitalism is killing the planet. So we know that these, the students left and activists seem to be extremists and a bit daft who work the loony left, as it, the uh, right-wing press used to call us. Uh, but then it was a kind of atmosphere along the way, despite the rain and cold winds, People kept close watch. People kept, kept close watching a group of young men in black anarchist flags, etc. But then, after that, we get this carnival feel of old ladies and young women saying, "This has been a wonderful, peaceful, not violent event. How wonderful it's all been." Greta Thunberg has been quoted in very favourable terms. She's no longer being presented as this spoiled brat or this girl who should be back at school. She's been presented uh, as a serious voice. So we see that things have changed quite a lot. There's, very positive coverage of the actual message. Lots and lots of pictures, which are generally very positive. But if you look at those pictures, and it's really worth going and having a look at the, the, the whole raft of pictures the Daily Mail's got there, it's almost like a carnival feel. It's a happy, joyous thing, which is so different from the message of democracy now emphasizing the violence of global capitalism on society. So uh, in a way, we've got the Daily Mail seems, what we're talking about, creating more and more noise in favour of protest or against global degradations and this stuff. It seems that the Daily Mail's had to change its message slightly. Both Michael and I would expect a far more critical stance towards the protesters, but the Daily Mail's had to shift a little. But mm. it's interesting, it's still, man, it distances itself very much from the lefties and the students at the beginning and the black-clad anarchists, and it ends up with a comparison with the Inchilate Britain protests, again, suggesting that these guys are crazy. So it seems to have shifted, and this is, if we take it into political theory and discourse thing we've mentioned, Gramsci before, those in power have to change a little bit. They have to increase their, their constituency to stay in power. 
and go with the times. And so the Daily Mail's had to open up. It's, it's a bit, the, the move against global uh, climate change has become such that the Daily Mail and other publications have had to open up and take some of that on board because their own readers are now become worried about it. Their own readers aren't as hardline as they were before. So we can now have the laughing grannies, the pleasant policemen, Greta Thunberg's okay. They're now being allied with a sense of Daily Mail reader and the opposition is now not the whole movement, but the black clad anarchists, the students and lefties mm. and uh, the insulate Britain crowd. So it's still old message, but it's had to shift. And yeah. it, actually, this is exactly, these are the cracks where the light gets in because yeah. there's a crack now. They've had to yeah. expand their discourse, change the number of things they talk about to get a wider constituency. Change happens slowly with some organs. And, and this is a definite sign of change. It might be perceptible over time. But if you look at the coverage of climate protest in the Daily Mail over the last 10 years, you'll see a notable shift. So yeah. change does happen slowly as it has to change its message to stay relevant. Yeah, you were talking about, you know, in, in, in those uh, discourse analytic terms of, of uh, and go to Gramscian terms of uh, hege hegemonic lines being redrawn. Yes. Uh, and, and this is, this is, this is a, it looks like an example of that. Um, and you can see it, I mean, as you say, in the text, where you've got the, at the beginning, the, 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 the lefties, the eco-warriors, the students, and then you look at the, the people who are actually quoted and named. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, a, a lady from Abergavenny uh, in Wales, S Cynthia Benjamin, 48, from Abergavenny in Wales, uh, and, and she's then quoted, um, and we find out that she's also a sales manager, so not a student. Uh, we don't know whether she's a, a left-wing activist. We, you know, that's that's kind of left left out here. But but certainly, she's dis, she's, she's dis, holding dis, down a responsible job. Responsible <laughs> job, and so 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 you know, great approval there by from the from the Daily Mail. And then we've got Erica Bloom, seventy-one from Bristol, again quoted, and, and you know, sort of a, a, a retirement age lady um, be, being quoted and, and named. So they're they're being given a kind of prominence uh, as individuals. That the that some of the students and the and the um, apparent left wing activists are, are, are not and, and, and you can, so that clear 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 clearly seeing the, the ambivalence in the yeah. reporting there yeah and both those people mentioned the sort of types who might well be within the Daily Mail demographic of course it's not so yeah. straightforward but retirement age females Daily Mail yeah. is definitely skewed towards the older the older age group and also is, is uh, has the largest female readership of all, all the British popular press. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they, they, they're presenting types who the reader can affiliate with, can associate with, and is happy to be on on message with, mm. so, which is rather that, so that they are in the, you know, connecting with the protesters rather than being separated from them. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on because this does connect to the uh, soundbite of the day. Yes. We should get a little jingle for the soundbite of the day. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so this is a tweet, Thalma Young Latuna Tabua. And she says, it seems like one of the fundamental climate divides in the world is one, people who want to figure out how to keep the world as is, but still meet whatever targets. And two, people who recognize that we need to fundamentally change the order of things in order to survive. And I think that's a really nice soundbite, given what we've just been looking at. Captures um, it all, doesn't it? Yeah. On the one hand, I guess, you know, democracy now would be on the side of number two, 
wanting, saying that in order to solve this problem, we need fundamental change. Capitalism, white supremacy, all of the things that were mentioned by the speakers are the things that we need to, at root cause, tackle. Whereas how do we understand this? As we've spoken about redrawing of the lines in the Daily Mail, where they're, they're kind of coming on board with this. Well, I think, you know, they've been category one. They want to keep things as, as close to being as they are, yet trying to, um, accommodate, a, a address some of the clear threats posed by climate change. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's how we can probably see, see and understand the differences that we're seeing with these two very different news organizations, you know, reporting the protests positively, uh, but as we've said earlier, from a very different point of view and for, with very, very different motives. No, it's great, Nick, because I think the quote captures that, that we've seen in terms of the actual action, so the people who want the system to change the same, and they will accommodate a bit because they don't want the end of the world in their mm. lifetime. Uh, and then the Daily Mail changing its message of it does want to lead all its readership. So one's accommodating in terms of discourse and words, and others accommodating in terms of action, but they're not really changing very much. Whereas the, the, the people, the Democracy Now! crowd, and a lot of the people we've also heard from, from other places want to change the global economic system. But I suppose in this way, Democracy Now! is a bit more entrenched in terms of it's not changing its message. It's, mm. it's sticking there. It's not looking for new constituents. And so going back to what we were talking about, voice and having a multitude of voices, they're just sticking where they are. They, they're not worried about getting a, a wider readership. So they, they, they are staying very ideologically on message. But it does make us think about our own activism. Who are the people should we deal with? I actually, there was a, I walked into university this morning. There was a post saying, Cop welcomes climate criminals. And thinking, well, yeah, they've got to because these are the people who've got to change. You know, if we really had all, all the people against climate change here, it would just be virtue signaling. Mm. So, yes, of course that. But it depends what you mean by welcome. Does it mean putting up with them, trying to get them to change, or does it mean celebrating them and, and making things? So, we've got to be strategic, and it does mean sometimes getting a message across in media and organs you wouldn't necessarily affiliate with. But actually, it's much more important to change them in some small way than it is to uh you know to carry on in the same echo chamber mm-hmm. yeah yeah really interesting we'll um continue no doubt uh later in the week we've got some nice um texts to look at lined up already and we've got a couple of guests to look forward to speaking with uh, tomorrow and thursday tomorrow we'll be speaking with johnny unger from lancaster university on looking social forward media. to that very much yeah me those too. of you Fed up with our two voices, we'll have a variety. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, thanks very much for listening, and see you again. Bye now.